This week, high above the mucky muck castle made of clouds, there sits Russell Cat sitting oh so proudly. Not much to say when you're high above the mucky muck. But now it's time for me to tell you about young Benjamin Witt, arch-rival and nemesis of Russell Cat, with powers comparable to Russell Cat. What powers, you ask? How about the same powers as Marcella Poblady Alarcon? That do anything for you? That's a donation, Holmes. Faithful spoilerites, what is the secret of your power? Whatever the source, this one goes out to all three of you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. Not a podcast, but the podcast in this issue. Kirby's in the house, Steven's on vacation, and Otter damns you all to heck. It's a madhouse, because Rodrigo's back, and Carol is too, but nobody wants to kiss a schmoo. Burma shave. When the evil Michael Bay attacks, will the Turtle Boys cut him any slack? Well, the internet sure as hell won't. I'll tell you that for free. What time is it? Time everlasting. Time to play B-sides. Time ain't on my side. Time will never know. I'm not the one to tell you what's wrong or what's right. I've seen the signs of what freezing their eyes went through. Yes, I know you didn't know what those lyrics were until this very second. You're welcome. And as for the major spoilers podcast, it's burning. It's burning. It's burning. It's burning for you. And it's on the air. Welcome to issue 394 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad you could join us Yay! this week. You know what joke I forgot to make? Hey, Matt, or uh, Rodrigo, how are you this week? You're uh, back? Yes. March Madness is all burned out of your system? Um, <laughs> yes. I have, I have passed March Madness all right. out of my kidney. <laughs> Excellent. It's always good to know. We've got uh, 365 yeah, days before we have to uh, worry about that again, so... And then there's Matthew over there. Matthew, how are you this week? Um, well, professionally, I've been kicked in the face repeatedly, but personally, I'm prill, well, pretty sort of marvelous. Excellent. Let's get to some news, shall we? Got a couple of stories this week that might uh, get your interest. We've got Michael Bay and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, raise some very interesting issues. Prometheus trailer uh, appears, and there's a lot of reactions to that. Miss Marvel is now Captain Marvel, and Dark Shadows gets a trailer. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and see where it lands. There it lands on Michael Bay and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, real interesting thing that uh, happened uh, this past week. Michael Bay was mm -hmm. at one of the Nickelodeon upfronts to talk about the upcoming mm -hmm. uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Press, press junket. Yeah, press junket. Uh, not really press junket. The upfronts are a little bit of press, but a lot of investor-type mm -hmm. things where you're going and talking to the heads of the studios and all of that stuff. Uh, but Michael Bay made this very interesting uh, comment about what we are going to see in the next uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And there's only a 16-second clip that appeared online, but it's enough to get everybody uh, uh, all riled up. He said, when you see this movie... Kids will believe one day that these turtles do exist when we're done with this movie. These turtles are from an alien race, and they're going to be tough, edgy, funny, and completely lovable. See any problems with that, Rodrigo? Um, it is weird that he thinks they will somehow be edgy. 
No. <laughs> um, no, it's a, I was I, saying that about Lovable. Certainly, when I when I saw it, I I did I did a double take when he said that they would be from an alien race. Yeah, because how did uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles form, Matthew? Uh, they actually got their powers in the same accident that gave Matt Murdock his Daredevil <laughs> powers. Uh, this is true. Uh, when the radioactive yeah. isotope hit him in the face, he pushed the old man out of the way. The isotope fell into the sewer and landed on four pet baby turtles that had fallen in there earlier that day. Of course, they didn't say it was Daredevil because it was a totally different universe. But right. it, but the it was a little redheaded was kid pushing yeah. a guy out of the way of a bus. Yeah, it, it, it was it was highly implied. And so it's an ooze, a radioactive compound that caused Splinter and Michelangelo and all the rest of the turtles to grow up into uh fighting Point force order. well splinter was a rat in the original comic book oh, splinter, splinter was wasn't... a human being yeah, that's who right, transformed right. into that's a right. rat oroku saki yeah yeah so uh obviously the turtles have gone through a lot of iterations over the years we saw them in the uh, eastman and laird comic book mm-hmm. the grand black and white we saw them in the uh was it late 80s early 90s yeah. teenage mutant ninja turtles cartoon show which Heroes bear a half show, little Turtle resemblance power. to uh, the comic books. And then we got a series of, what, three or four movies uh, where yes. it was like guys uh, in movies. puppet suits. Three, right? three, at least three major release movies. And then just a few years ago, we got a 3D animated movie, which I rather, really kind of liked. Somewhere in the middle there, there was a live action Saban Entertainment uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where they introduced a girl turtle. Don't mess with me, Rodrigo. I'm telling you, that's no. actually what happened. Yeah, no. Her name, her name was something. Actually, forgive me. Roku Saki was the shredder. Yeah, Hamato was, Yoshi. Yeah. Hamato Yoshi was alternately either Splinter or Splinter's owner. So now, now we I get a whole new origin story. Or the comics that had him transforming. And so now I, I, a whole I new origin story, where not only are they that. apparently not transformed from ooze, but they're an alien race. Right. That are How lovable, in the world edgy. Can we extrapolate that from something that the that the producer slash director slash gadabout slash blowhard of note said in one sentence? I mean, it, it, honestly, if he's okay, let's say you sign on to direct a property. I'm going to sign on. I'm a well known director, and they're like, "This is called Amadeus." And you're going to get the kid from Animal House, and he's going to play the bad guy, and then we're going to get this other guy, and going to be Amadeus. I may not know that Amadeus is, in fact, the composer Mozart. And if I say in the upfronts, yeah, this guy Amadeus was better than Mozart, people may come down on me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Mozart is an alien. Wait. However that sentence began. Well, here's, here's the issue with that. You would hope. I mean, what you're talking about, Matthew, may be the reality of the situation, but Mm -hmm. you would hope, especially if you care about a property, that whoever is tasked to direct it cares about this property. So here are one of two things happening. Either, as you say, Michael Bay doesn't know anything about the Ninja Turtles at all. Right. Or he's changed something about the Ninja Turtles. And to the Ninja Turtles fan, regardless of which iteration you're a fan of, that could be highly offensive. Well, but here's the thing. You don't just go out and talk off the top of your heads at an upfront. You've got something scripted out. You've got something planned. You've got something that has been checked. And so if he's saying they're an alien race. Yeah. And that is, you know, when, when, when I started hearing this stuff on the Internet, 
And people were like, oh, the Ninja Turtles are going to be aliens. I was like, I bet people are misconstruing something he said. I bet what it is is that somehow aliens were the ones that turned them into mutants. That must be it. But this is pretty clear. These turtles are from an alien race really strongly implies that there's a race of turtles, of humanoid turtles out there, that, and that's where they come from. Well, as I you- suppose it could be that they're from an alien race of Star Trek-style aliens that look human, and then they got mutated into turtles, which would only add another layer of well, idiocy it could to be an that already maybe the, thin Maybe the aliens came down and mutated the turtles. Well, that's so what I'm saying. they're from but- an alien race, meaning the, the stuff that transformed them was from an alien yes, race. Yes, in, in the same way that I'm against this <laughs> implies that you really like it because your body is literally pressed against So it. as you can imagine, the internet, all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans erupted with Shock and horror and yeah. down with Michael and Bay Kawabungas. and burning his yeah, Kawabunga in effigy, to which Michael Bay posted on his website, fans need to take a breath and chill. Yo, I added the yo for emphasis. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that is how he talks, though. They have not yeah. read the script. Our team is working closely with one of the original creators of the Ninja Turtles to help expand and give a more complex backstory. Relax. We are including everything that made you be- become a fan in the first place. We're just building a richer world. Now, interestingly, Peter Laird says he has no involvement with the movie, Mm -hmm. which only leaves Kevin Eastman, Mm -hmm. who uh, said he saw the script, but he hasn't made any comments. Uh, He's not really involved with the movie beyond having read the script. Well, when they say creator, they're probably talking about the guy who created the pitch. It could be. I again. I will. I well, Laird, will didn't reserve. Laird sell? I think Laird sold off all of his interest in no. uh, Eastman. I believe. Oh, Eastman. Wait, one of one of them. Metal. Uh, Eastman. Well, I don't know. One of them had sold one off of all their interest oh. in the in the property some time ago. Probably when the evil well, shredder and, attacked. Yes. Yeah. Eastman owns heavy metal. Right. So I think maybe either way. This is my thing. I will reserve judgment for two reasons. First, this is the director talking out his face. And, you know, if you, you, you look at it this way, they're not going to be making a movie without any recognition of the property. But then you look at Transformers, where they made three different movies, and I'm not sure they actually recognize the property. You're either going to, you know, let's be honest here. It's either going to be huge or it's going to be a complete and utter disaster. This is something where there isn't really a whole lot of middle ground because you don't have a built-in audience. Well, honestly, now that I mention it, you might have a built-in audience, but you don't have the same sort of built-in audience that you have for, I want to see a film about Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman. Or, oh, no, I, I think you're know. wrong. Oh, no, no, Matthew. I think the, the Mutant Ninja Turtles are as popular a brand as Superman as... Yeah, as any other comic book franchise. Especially with a demographic that counts, which is kids. Well, and especially since that demographic extends all the way to people that are in their mid-40s, all the way down to kids that are, you know, four-year-olds now. Yeah, one one thing about the Ninja Turtles is that they have somehow miraculously managed to stay relevant. Yeah, they really have. the past 20 years, or more, 30 So I think there's a huge built-in fan base, and and you're right, I do think that there's two ways this movie could go. A huge success or a colossal flop. It's going to be one of those two. Unfortunately, this is the way I see it shaking down. The first movie will be a 
huge success because it's got explosions and it's got Ninja Turtles and it's got everything that people thought that they wanted to see in a Ninja Turtles movie, which will propel the box office receipts high enough to where the studio will say, we need a second and a third. And by the time the second one hits, it'll be too late to stop the third and we'll be right back where we are with the Transformers. That's just my thoughts. Here's what I think is fantastic about this whole situation. Remember for a while with movies and TV shows how everything was mutant anthropomorphic things? Yes. You know, street sharks and even like a lot of the monsters were mutant. Swat cats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mute uh, animals. The the main reason for that, it, it's like the, the, the thing that exploded that was the Ninja Turtles. Right. It's it's kind of hilarious that now aliens are back in vogue and now mm-hmm. they are taking the Ninja Turtles and alienizing them. Right. Where they are also the or like they did that to other properties back in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Yeah. It's all interesting, but a lot of people still Upset irate. And then the, and then after this morning, after we saw um, this being recorded on Tuesday, after we saw what Michael Bay had posted, that caused fans to get even more oh, upset. Oh, I am sure. Don't tell me to relax. I know more about the Ninja Turtles than I you do, Michael you. Bay. It, it was kind of funny right to see a lot of that fall out and play out across the internet. Well, it's just I, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen. Um, why do Why do people hate Michael Bay so much? I don't know. I mean, he's had some good movies, right? The Rock, uh, Bad Boys. Well, I think. Not a good movie. <laughs> I, I think. I think Michael Bay takes the same approach to every movie he makes, and when you have something Explosions! like partially, yeah, you know, here's a no nonsense main character explosions. Wow! Now a slow take. Oh, where am I? Lens flare, more explosions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of that going on. Um, yeah. and the thing is, when it's a franchise that is new, like Bad Boys or like The Rock, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal, right? But when you have a Michael Bay movie, then you have 70% of the movie already made, right. and then anything else just fits into a little crawl space. Right. So when you have Transformers, Transformer was a Michael Bay movie mm-hmm. tra- that was Transformers flavored. Right. Honestly, for the first movie, for the first Transformers movie, I thought it was fine. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what um, I said. But see, uh, people are like, well, if you don't agree with what Michael Bay's doing, go and see the movie. Well... You really aren't going to be able to know what Michael Bay has done with the movie until after you've seen a trailer or after you've actually gone to see the movie itself. Yeah. Now, granted, so, a lot of the marketing, a lot of the marketing is going to determine whether people go to the theater or not. But like you said, people are going to see Michael Bay explosion right. summer 2014, and yep. then they're going to line and up just for that. People go and see this movie, even if it's awful. Yeah. I think the problem, the problem that people have with Michael Bay is that he's like... He's like the illegitimate offspring of Jerry Bruckheimer and Ridley Scott. And all of the things about those particular, those two filmmakers slam together. And then it has an exclamation point at the end. I think that I don't necessarily like or dislike him. I have yet to love a movie that he's made because all of the movies that he's made seem to me to be distilled 1986 MTV shots and, and lens flare and like that. But you know, I, I haven't, I, I also haven't been really, really, really attached to any of the premises. So if you come up and, you know, the next thing he makes is a remake of the black hole in, in 3D surround sound smell I may love him forever. 
So that's fun. But the basic thing that people have is a, it's okay to make fun of Michael Bay because the general perception is that Michael Bay is not a good, a good director. So people who don't even know who Michael Bay is or know what Michael Bay's directing style is will say, it sure is fun to hate Michael Bay. So that will, you know, that, that whole zeitgeist will come into play. But more importantly, people take shots. It's, it's that, it's that tallest poppy theory again. People take shots partly because his films are inexplicably popular and partly because it's something where he makes $11 million breaking wind on a Tuesday morning. So. Listener, we want to know what you think of this story. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com. There is a link in the show notes for you to follow, and you can uh, post your comments. A lot of comments uh, going on right now. Some of them uh, in favor, some of them not in favor of the uh, the comments that Michael Bay has made. You can check them out along with a bunch of other news stories, uh, retro reviews, bunch of reviews, commentary, and other stuff right over there at Majorspoilers.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for some reviews. How to get a Major Spoilers shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one. Visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Once again, we really appreciate everyone who's contributed to the cause, even uh, people who have not given the $10 to give the shout out at the top of the show. The $2, the $5 a month recurring certainly help and uh, keep the lights on and put a little money in everybody's pockets. Let's get to some reviews. (laughs) Now I just. uh, uh, Okay, three, two, one. Review. Thank you. A lot of new comics coming out this week. Uh, we're going to check in with comics from Image, Top Cow, and Dynamite Entertainment. I know we've got to be careful because we are treading that line between a no DC Marvel comments made in this show, and people get really agitated. Well, if, if we don't cover any Marvel or DC, the people yeah. who say we hate Marvel and the people who <laughs> say we hate DC will actually collapse into infinity, like dividing by zero. I think it's an interesting approach. We should see if we, you know, destroy well, we're, this. We actually, won't, we actually won't be able to do that. We will be uh, DC-free this week. Uh, but let's start oh, off well, that means with we love Marvel. a look at Infinite Vacation number four from Nick Spencer and Christian Ward. This is out this week from Image Comics. And I got to say, there's a problem with creator-owned books. Mm-hmm. What's that? Steve? They take forever to come out. Yeah. I have been standing in in front of the comic rack at our local Hastings week after week going, when's that next issue of in- Infinite Vacation going to come out? Where no, is like, it? Sir, sir, we're closing in to leave. But I've been waiting here for weeks. When's that new <laughs> Infinite Vacation coming out? I really like the concept of this of this book. And this is I mean, this book I think must have launched back in June of last year or something like that. Maybe it's quarterly. I don't think it's planned that way. 
Well, Nick Spencer but, is writing the entire universe, so there's a chance well, that it yeah. may Well, not only – he's not just writing the entire universe. He's writing every universe that ever existed in every dimension. And that's kind of the, the whole idea behind Infinite Vacation is that if you don't like your life, you can swap places with someone else in another universe and just continue to move on. But there is some evil force that is uh, uh, trying to take down our hero of Mark – uh, he's trying to ev- evade capture by the makers of the Infinite Vacation for some some reason that we're not really fully aware of yet. Um, and so this uh, this issue, Mark and the girl that he loves, who he's met again and again in so many different dimensions, are being chased by uh, like a cannibal version of himself from a cannibal universe. Nice. And um, it ends up with the girlfriend or the potential girlfriend or the future wife or however it works out in multiple realities uh, being captured and taken to the headquarters of the uh, infinite vacation. And Mark has to figure out a way to save the universe and save himself and save the love of his life. And it's pretty trippy. Um, and that's kind of where this issue kind of fits in. There's one more issue to go as everything comes to a head. Um, but what really makes this issue different is the art style that they use. They use photographs. So this this issue opens up with uh, like a Mark Zuckerberg kind of guy looking at you and commenting and saying, hey, um, here's this concept. This is a public service announcement that we can box up universes. Basically, they will destroy a universe. Uh, they have the ability to wipe it out from existence if that universe gets too out of control. Uh, including this cannibal universe. Uh, you know, if they're warlike, we'll just decide to box them up and destroy them. And it's not going to be a big deal because there's an infinite number of other universes out there. And so they've got this really cool uh, photographs that are going on, uh, great art styles that are being mixed in and blended in. And then we switch to the traditional art style done by uh, Christian Ward, who it's not bad. They use some uh, very different color palette than what you might expect. Um But what he does in this issue is similar to what happened in, I think it was what, Batman 5 or 6. I think it was Batman uh, issue 6, where you were actually turning the pages around, trying to follow the story and turning the book around. And there's a part where uh, Nick and his girlfriend, uh, not Nick, uh, Mark and his girlfriend are running through this uh, facility trying to escape. And this is what happens as you start to read. You start to turn the book sideways and up front and upside down uh, as Mark trips through multiple dimensions trying to escape. And so that's interesting as well. Um, overall, really, it's a this issue is a big chase scene with the hero coming to the revelation, uh, a realization of what he has to do, but we don't know what that is. And so we're going to have to wait for the final act to come out where, um, you know, uh, Bruce Willis comes out screaming for his wife and for, uh, uh, you know, the, the German guy. Uh, so that he can blow them away and save his wife and save Nakatomi Tower. Hans, Hans Gruber, yeah. Uh, Infinite Vacation number four. I, like I said, I was kind of hooked on this tale since it first began, and I'm very interested to read more of it or read the final chapter, but I don't think I can wait six months for this issue to come out. The release schedule of this book is terrible. Um, the story is interesting. The art is very interesting. It's not particularly my style, but I find it very interesting. Uh, but I'm only going to give this book three slices of meatloaf out of five. I think it's still worth reading if you've read the previous issues and if you can still track down those previous issues. But, um, uh, 
I don't hold out hope that I'm going to see the fifth installment next month. Hmm. Hmm. So that's from Image Comics. You know, Top Cow is still its own brand, but it's now being kind of, I don't want to say run, but it's kind of being massaged or guided Um, by Image. We'll say uh, distributed. Yes, distributed through Image Comics. But this week we also have Witchblade number 154, which Rodrigo has been reading. Yes. (laughs) Which Rodrigo has been reading? (laughs) Which Rodrigo is which? Which blade Rodrigo has been reading? This one. Okay. Now, is, uh, this has still got Sarah Pizzini in it? Yes. Is she still yeah. the witch blade? She, yeah, she is. Um, the whole Denny Baptiste thing is, Baptiste. is, is fast. Okay, so, so what about... Yeah, Sarah Pizzini has the witch blade. What about her kid? Is the kid um, still floating around? It doesn't seem like it is. Literally. Honestly. Literally floating around. Well, it might be, because, you know, they're trying to kill that kid. Yeah. I haven't no, read it in a well, long time. The kid's not in this. I haven't. Uh, the kid's not in this uh, issue. Certainly, um, I think I saw the first issue of this arc, and this is the fourth issue of the arc, like third or fourth. So I missed something somewhere along the way. Um, this is part of the broken pieces, unbalanced pieces um, arc, in which. Uh, Sarah is, she moves to Chicago and she's investigating, she's a private investigator now. Right. Um, And she's trying to just basically do a normal private investigator thing, but of course she keeps tripping onto scary monsters in bikinis. Ah, in bikinis! Look out, in bikini! Uh, So, this issue actually starts with three people that we haven't seen before. Um, and one of them has the witch blade mm. and pretty soon it becomes obvious that one of them is the darkness. So you're, uh, you're led to believe that this is past bearers of the witch blade and the darkness in Chicago dealing with this monstrosity. And we find that this, this scary looking meatball creature, uh, <laughs> actually it looks like, uh, it looks like slivers from magic, but uh, this this creature is was underneath Chicago, and the the previous darkness and witchblade managed to seal it. But then it started leaking out onto the water supply, no, and man. people started drinking it. That's what happens every St. Patrick's Day, right? Pretty much. Uh, gross. So, is that a green beer joke? We've. Uh, in this storyline, it's basically been a turf war between uh, these uh, people that are becoming youthful by drinking this thing, but also growing weird protrusions out of their bodies because you know it's witchblade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this coven of sexy witches that wants to now, capture wait. this power. Is this coven of sexy witches called the Fleshblade? Because that's what the solicitation says. It says, no, the no, cult no, of the no. mysterious flesh blade. That's the other one. Oh, boy. Because here's here's actually what you find out in this issue. This m- weird monster entity that lives under Chicago. Yeah. When the Witchblade and the Darkness kicked its butt, it, like, learned from them and created its own version of the Witchblade and the Darkness. Interesting. So you find out that these weird protrusions that people are growing is its version of the Witchblade and whatever the Coven is using is its version of the Darkness. I see. Now somewhere in there 
was the spear, which is one of the top cow artifacts. Right. I don't know what its deal is necessarily. Let's go back and read that whole artifact series at yeah, some point. Yeah, pro- we probably should. Um, should is maybe an ex- an extrapolation too but, far But, uh, yeah, apparently it's a big deal, and they are worried that it also copied the spear in some way. Um, the art is good. There are a lot of weird uh, gurgly monsters. A lot of sexy ladies, some sexy ladies covered in gurgly monster stuff. Um, there is a, a part where a bunch of witches take off their clothes. For hey, I in. would say definitely for a top cow comic, semi-legitimate reasons. I mean, it, you know, it's <laughs> it's actually plot driven. Um, this this issue is actually pretty good. This arc is interesting. You know the. I think that now that they've moved Witchblade out of strict superhero stuff and into right. like paranormal investigation yeah, type yeah. things, um, that's that's where the book's stride is. That's where that's where its strength is. What's well, interesting too, because you said the paranormal investigation of monsters, written uh-huh. by Tim Seeley, the guy that did Hack Slash, which is kind of like that same thing, yeah. hunting down the, oh, the monsters. So yeah, I mean, this is this is really well written. Um, I you know the. Every character has its own voice. It's it's actually, you know, I I, I keep uh, going back to Witchblade to see what's going on, mm-hmm. and this is very different from the previous run, the run that gave us like the right. two Witchblades and stuff. But that right. was good too in yeah, its own yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. This is this is really different though. Um, not this isn't like the most original story ever, but it's different from other stuff that we've seen in Witchblade because it's yeah, it's creepy and yeah, it's got all this stuff going on. But it's generating its own mythology as opposed to just kind of borrowing interesting mm-hmm. things from other places. And it's doing that thing with the Top Cow universe where it's maintaining that whole, yes, this is a joint universe, which I'm not crazy about, but it's doing it well. Right. Um, the art is good. I'll give this four slices of meatloaf. Excellent. Which blade nice. number 154. Have I told uh, you about my new band? We're going to call it Plot Driven Nudity. Nice. Matthew, yeah. let's take a look at Kirby Genesis Silver Star number four from Dynamite Entertainment. Also out this week. Way, way back at the dawn of time, or at least in 1983, Jack Kirby was no longer working for the big two companies. He was working, well, initially for Pacific Comics, which didn't last very long. And one of the titles that he created while he was working for Pacific, was Silver Star, 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 which was the story of Morgan Miller, because, you know, if you're a Jack Kirby character, you must be alliterative. It is the law. And Morgan Miller became a homo geneticus, the genetically altered man, and then came into superpowers. And, of course, as part of Kirby, the Kirby Genesis the new Kirby-verse, if you will. Everything that Jack ever sketched on a cocktail napkin gets its own book. So, this week, I picked up Silver Star number four. Now, here's my problem, and I will I will throw this out here at the beginning. We did not get copies of Silver Star 1, 2, or 3 at Gatekeeper Hobbies, Games, and Hobbies. Why not? Hobbies, Hunter, H. Topeka. Oh, Laird only knows. Uh, I presume Dusty didn't like them. But, we have been getting... Kirby Genesis, we have been getting Captain Victory, I think it is. And uh, one other Kirby Genesis book. So it may be that these are selling out before I get to the store. But this story starts 
with a rather puzzling page. A little girl shows up at a conclave of scientists and says, Silver Star was destroyed by a bomb designed to eliminate him from existence. So I think this probably happened in a previous issue. And the rest of the issue is this little girl fighting off these evil scientists and trying to figure out how can she save the Silver Star. Now, Silver Star's costume is one of the ones that have stuck with me for years and years and years, which is why I actually picked up this issue. I really like the design of Silver Star, which is a little sad since he doesn't appear throughout most of the book. Um, the young girl makes her way into the streets. It looks like New York is completely inhabited by superhumans. It kind of feels a little bit like, I don't know if I'd call it a parody of the Marvel Universe, but it kind of reminds me of Project Superpowers, where you can't, you know, you can't swing a cat without running into somebody in a cape. And she's trying to figure out what's going on and running and running and running like a constipated wiener dog through the streets until she's finally saved by someone who seems to be heralded as this great hero. And that someone, if you've read the original Superstar, Silver Star rather, is actually Darius Drum, the villain of the original book. Dun, dun, dun. You know he's a villain because he's a Kirby character and he wears a little hood like Desaad. Dun, dun, dun. But at the at the end of this issue, and I'm not entirely clear because some things happen in here that aren't really fully spelled out. But she finds Morgan Miller, who is to be super, Silver Silver Star. Why do I want to call him Superstar? I think I'm I'm just drunk this week. But she finds Morgan Miller. They have a conversation. He's not Silver Star at this point in time. Something weird happens, and at the end of the issue, Silver Star steps out of a volcano, and for two pages, it's like, I am back, and I am wicked awesome. And, and you, you animated animal men in super-powered suits, you are now going to help me save Norma, which is the name of the young girl. So I kind of get the feeling we've been looking at either an alternate reality or the end of an alternate reality, some sort of alternate future time frame, not entirely sure. The issue looks really good. The three panels in which Silver Star appears really, really, really make that costume design pop. And there's a lot of very Kirby stuff going on here. Mm -hmm. What there isn't is a whole lot of clarity to the plot. Now, again, I say this without having read the first three issues of the book. I'm, you know, it at chapter four of what's presumably five or six chapters long. Generally, most stories are what six chapters long now Usually. for the trade, yep. 120 pages. So I don't expect them to write everything out and spell it all out for me. But, you know, many of the dynamite books have that opening page that say previously in whatever, this doesn't have that. So I was kind of out in the cold and, there are some peculiarities art-wise. The dialogue is actually pretty good, but the plot kind of meanders a bit, and I'm still not entirely sure what Norma did to either find or revive or unannihilate Silver Star. So probably a three-slice-of-meatloaf affair. Not, not a bad issue, certainly. Um, I have been reading Kirby Genesis, but I haven't really been. It hasn't given me a whole lot that would tell me exactly what's going on here in Silver Star, so... I'll probably have to pick it up in the trade if I want to know what's really going on. Yeah, I th I think though, you know, if it did have 
an opening page that was that said previously in Kirby Genesis, they would have to say previously in Kirby Genesis. <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything is the happening. universe was created. <laughs> the Bronze Age. Yep. That's true. Jack Kirby's brain does have a tendency to just go, hey, you know, it would be cool. <laughs> All right, everyone. As you know, we have been incorporating a lot of the other major spoilers crew in our review segment. And this week it is Bruce Otter who's stepping up to take a look at Exile on Planet of the Apes. Thanks, guys. Bruce here. And this week I'm taking a look at Exile on the Planet of the Apes number one from Boom Studios, written by Corinna Bechko with art by Mark Lamming. This prequel tale is set in Ape City 18 years before the original Planet of the Apes film. The story begins with a human raid on an ape village with the humans stealing some very odd items that defy their primitive nature as typically established in the Apes universe. Next we meet Prisca, a chimpanzee scientist known for once having taught sign language to a human named Turn. Turn is notorious for having killed an ape and is believed dead. Prisca is hauled in front of Counselor Zaeus, who apparently hasn't finished his thesis, Zaeus is the paranoid and ambitious ape we know from the, the Apes films, and he accuses Prisca of involvement with the raid. He is convinced the humans have an ape collaborator because they were seen using hand signals during the raid. I like this bit, and it really captured the Zaeus we all know and love with his arrogance and his tendency to talk down to those he sees as inferior. Another chimp, Timon, enters the picture trading an ornate bowl last seen in the raid for some medicine. He soon meets with a tribe of horse-riding humans led by the definitely-not-dead Turn. Unfortunately, Timon was sold out, and he and the humans are ambushed by a group of guerrilla soldiers. Fighty-fighty, the humans prevail and head into the Forbidden Zone. Prisca, meanwhile, decides that if the humans are using sign language, then she can communicate with them and possibly make peace between the two warring factions. She sneaks out of Ape City to find Turn. Back in the Forbidden Zone, we see that the humans do indeed have an ape collaborator, a guerrilla named Alaron, and the issue ends. I like the setup in the issue. Each important character was clearly introduced and their role defined. Plus, we got a bit of intrigue with the introduction of Alaron at the end, presenting us with some questions and a tease for the next issue. The art was decent, with all the characters' clothes and Ape City designs right out of the movies, which I really liked. It was sometimes difficult to tell which character was which. Three orangutans appeared in the story, and they all looked just like Dr. Zaeus. So... That was a little bit confusing. The dialogue usually made it clear who everyone was most of the time, so it didn't hinder the story that much, but it was still a little distracting. I did have an issue with some of the dialogue in that it sometimes felt too modern and American. Lots of contractions, gunnas and commands and things like that made made the the conversations feel a little off from the more proper language that the apes used in the films. Not a huge thing, but it did pull me out of the story from time to time. Exile on Planet of the Apes number one was a solid read covering familiar apes territory with the future Dr. Zaeus featured prominently. It earns three slices of meatloaf. I'm Bruce, a.k.a. Otter Disaster. I'll be back again soon with another review. In the meantime, you can check out my comic, Spoiled, at Majorspoilers.com every Friday. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that, Bruce. And you can read more reviews over at... Majorspoilers.com. The reviews are done, which means it is now time for the Major Spoilers poll of the week. It's time for the millions in attendance and the thousands listening on the subway who always jump when I yell, it's time. The Major Spoilers podcast presents the Major Spoilers poll. 
So you may have heard of this money grab that Marvel is doing right now mm-hmm. called no, uh, comic book. Avengers versus X-Men, which also has a spin-off book already called uh, Versus, which is just uh, mm-hmm. just the fights themselves, fight, fight. pages and pages of fights of uh, each of these characters. But already one comic great, book store had a press conference book. yesterday where they came out and sided with with one of the teams. And Marvel wants to know whose side you're on. And we want to know, whose side are you on in this big Avengers versus X-Men battle royale? The Avengers or the X-Men? Rodrigo, go. I'm going to side with whatever team has Wolverine in it. Why is that? Uh, because Wolverine is the awesomest and he doesn't lose and stuff. You're just saying that because you like Wolverine. So, like, he is totally great. So, if the X-Men have a Wolverine, then they'll win. And if the Avengers <laughs> have a Wolverine, then they will also win. You know, I think there's going to be a plot point where he's actually on both teams. Yep. So. Non-committal answer! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Matthew, what about you? Well, being me, this is something that yeah, I, I, I look at from a number of different levels. I look at it from the perspective of what makes sense for a story, what makes sense as a comic book for sale to the general public, and also what would be the coolest. What makes sense as a story is that the Avengers are a government-sponsored super team. The Avengers have more members than I've had hot meals, and trust me, I don't skip a lot of meals. And even though there are hundreds of thousands of X-Men, The X-Men are mutants. Mutants have the same origin, and as such, they tend to differentiate the mutants by giving them powers that are variations on a theme. So you have the guy with the claws and the girl with the lightning and the guy who throws the explosive cards, and eventually it gets down to the guy with magnetic eyeballs that only attract toasters and the guy who can telekinetically control up to five houseflies at once. All this power, and still they mock him. And then you say to yourself, who are they going to be fighting? Iron Man, Thor, Giant Man, the Hulk, Captain America, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, the Scarlet Witch, Hercules, the Black Panther, the Vision, the Black Widow, the Beast, Moon Dragon, Hellcat, the Two-Gun Kid, Wonder Man, the new Captain Marvel, the Falcon, Tigress, She-Hulk, Captain Marvel, that's Captain Marvel number two, by the way, Star Fox, Namor, Dr. Druid, Mockingbird, War Machine, The Thing, Moon Knight, Firebird, Demolition Man, The Forgotten One, Mr. Fantastic, The Invisible Woman, The U.S. Agent, Quasar, The Human Torch, Cersei, Stingray, Spider-Man, Sandman, Rage, Machine Man, Wolverine, Iron Fist, and Doctor Strange. And I left Darkhawk off because, frankly, Darkhawk sucks. So I went with the Avengers just because it's more fun to list all their names. That was fun, though, that one uh, Star Fox Demolition Man team up. Peppy told him to do a barrel roll, and he blew him up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My turn, huh? All right. Well, I'm going to go with um, G. I think I'm going to go with the mutants because they have more interesting powers than than a bunch of stand-around superheroes that inject themselves with drugs or strap on some super suit and fly around. So, X-Men all the way. What? What do you mean, what? What? How did, how did Steve Rogers get his power? Injecting drugs. himself with drugs. Not, does, nor, not how regular does, drugs, how, super drugs. How does Iron Man get his powers? He straps on some exoskeleton and goes and fights crime. How, does Wolverine... how did Thor get his powers? He found an enchanted Uru cane. Odin balls. <laughs> <laughs> 
James Winston says, got to go with uh, the mutants. Maximus Riff said he voted the X-Men. George W. said, nothing in, of interest. Um, <laughs> in says, I'm on whatever side the Punisher is on. Uh, John by the Hutt said, it doesn't matter who I vote for because the way I see it, we're all winners. Uh, nice. Let's see. Avengers Assemble, says Rob. Um, Lee says, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Alicia says, she has to go with the X-Men. Joe M. says, he picks the champions. Um, ba -ba -ba. Taz says he voted for the Avengers because he can't vote against Captain America. Matthew, how did the rest of uh, Major Spoilers Nation vote so far this week? <laughs> well, right now I'm looking at darn near 300 votes. That's pretty uh, good. I believe 290 is what I'm looking at right now. 54%. A razor-thin margin of less than a dozen people, if I'm reading my math right. And I'm probably not because math is hard. 54% saying the Avengers, 46% saying uh, Wolverine and his amazing X-Men. And a lot of it does seem to come down to a question of which side is Wolverine on. But no one is asking another question. Which side is Namor on? Which side is Storm well, on? We've seen, we've seen the fight. So whichever side um, Luke Cage is on. Namor's on the Luke opposite is an side of also, yeah, so, so he's on the, he's on the um, yeah. X-Men side. side. And Storm. Go. So I mean, I don't think we've. I don't think I've seen any cover images with Storm on it yet. Not yet. She may just be hanging out with Black, uh, Black Black Panther. Panther. Well, he's an Avenger. Well, see, there you go. Oh, maybe this is where and they somebody, get divorced. Somebody said, "Which side is the Juggernaut on?" And I'm like, "Well, what do, what difference does that make? Half the Avengers have defeated the Juggernaut single-handedly, you know, including uh, Spider-Man." You know, somebody. I I think it was somebody in the uh, comment section posted. Something interesting. How do you think this is going to end, Matthew? Um, probably the same way Civil War did with an enormous. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I was actually about honestly, to say the same thing. This will end when the Hulk gets back from Planet Hulk. Well, that's yeah. what I was wondering if if maybe they'll stop their fighting when some external force comes to Earth to say, how, how "I'm it, here to eat the planet." How is it gonna? And start? it's hunger time. Like what's what's. What gets them fighting? I don't know. Well, from what I understand, the part of the initial salvo was the standoff <laughs> that the teams had during Avengers, the Children's Crusade, over whether or not Cyclops got to execute Wanda Maximoff. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I they've 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 had a lot of tension between the two groups in their last few appearances. I bet more than likely Captain America is going to steal Cyclops' handicapped parking space. It's usually how it starts. He's only got one eye. Yeah, he's got no depth perception. He has to park close to the mall. All right, everyone. get to the Orange Julius. Here is your chance to participate and decide who is going to win, or really, whose side you're on. Avengers or the X-Men, head over to Majorspoilers.com. Cast your vote. I'm sure we will find out sometime in, uh, what, November? when they finally finish yeah. the very last tie-in issue to this entire series. Kicks off in April. I'm down with Howard. Kicks off in April. We'll see how it all plays out. I'm always down with Howard. All right, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to be discussing Mage, the hero discovered. Stick around. Greetings and salutations, Major Spoilers. Cat Halo from the forums here with a wish and a warning. Firstly, I wish you all a belated happy St. Patty's Day, and I hope you got up to some good old-fashioned shenanigans. Now, the warning. 
don't go see the raven it's sherlock holmes meets seven only it's terribly written badly directed and generally just pretty poor like the v for vendetta director really drops the ball and the movie you know what it lacks in atmosphere it makes up for with fog lots of fog John Cusack borders on ridiculous cage territory, and it's really only Luke Evans and my fellow Irishman Brendan Gleeson that are good in this movie. So, quote the Raven nevermore, let us never speak of this film. Avoid it when it comes out in the Americas next month. So, you can find Cat Halo movies on the Facey Space, on the Twitter book, and on the Major Spoilers forum. Thanks for your time, and have a good week. Gentlemen, Jamba from Delaware, the anomaly man, the future person from the past at this point. And call him with a question and uh, I guess maybe a comment. I don't know. Maybe it'll turn into a question. Um, question is, I, I, you know, how do you guys decide which books you're going to re- review uh, during the weeks? Because, you know, I've heard, you know, on some of the past podcasts, people throw out some pretty excellent suggestions on stuff to uh, review, such as, oh, I don't know, Blankets was a one I recall hearing uh, back in the day. That, that would be a pretty interesting book to hear reviewed. So I'm just curious to, to how you guys decide what it is that you're going to read. Is it just a time frame thing um, or availability or, or something along those lines? Uh, so that's my question. Then I have a comment. So watching Walking Dead season finale, and they have this show after Walking Dead, Talking Dead, where they talk about the show you just watched, which is weird. But Kirkman was on it, and uh, it's a call-in show. I just want Matthew to know, I tried really, really hard to get on air with this guy just so I could tell him he's got to poop. Never made it, though. Uh, Didn't make it through the call screenings. In fact, most of the lines were, were just... Busy and you didn't get a hold of anybody, but I tried. So maybe, maybe you want to do like a spoiler uh, quest or something like that for us spoilerites out there. To, you know, try to meet up with uh, with Kirkland or something like that. You know, hold up a sign, get a picture taken with him, or something where we uh, inform him of his need to defecate, and uh, you know, then we can post it on the site or something like that, and maybe win a fat prize like copy of blankets i don't know it's worth a shot later all thank you thank you for everyone who called in this week and the contributions made this week the question how do we decide what books to review answer whim right pretty much yes one of us will say you know what we should totally read and steven will say i'll stick it on the list yeah, so somewhat, you know, in regards to blankets, I mean, we've got a copy of blankets here. It's slowly being moved around, but it's a big book, and we're, you know, you can check over at Majorspoilers.com. There is a button that says on the next Major Spoilers podcast, and that'll give you a pretty good hint of what's to come in the, over the next month or so, as well as some other books that are on that list, as Matthew yeah. said. So there it you go. used to be we would and, actually oh, just decide the week before. We'd be like, what do you well, want to read next week? Here, here's the, here's the thing. This is the reason why we're going, you know... At least a month ahead. Right now we've got planned all the way out to April 24th. Because we want you to participate. We want you to call in and and comment and share your thoughts on these books that we're talking about, including today's book, uh, Mage the Hero Discovered. Uh, But also if you head over to that on the next Major Spoilers podcast page, if you want to buy the book, just click on that link to Amazon. And here's the nice thing. If you buy the book, we get a little uh, money thrown our way as well. 
And if you just want to go in and buy anything from Amazon, click through one of these Amazon links that we have on the website and we'll get some, some money off of that as well. Even if you go out and buy whatever you're going to buy, power tools or the latest Dungeons and Dragons yeah, The Amazon book. says to us, they say, we say, hey, Amazon, how's about a little compensation? And they say, you will get no money, but on your deathbed, you will have 30% off power tools. So let's take so a look. I got that at, oh, oh, and the next comment. Look, I, I know everybody's <laughs> laughing about Kirkman got a poop, but going up to Kirkman at the show and telling him he's got a poop or holding up a sign that says Kirkman got a poop or trying to call in on a live show and say Kirkman got a poop. Yeah, that's yeah. probably pushing it a yeah, bit no, too no, no. far. I mean, it's, it's fun to, yes, he does have an interesting look on his face when he smiles, but you still have to treat people with, with some yeah. respect face to face. And look, we're not shock jocks. The whole no, Kirkman no, no, got no. a poop thing developed yeah. naturally from. It happened. Yeah. So, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not calling people up at 3 a.m. and being like, hey, Mark Wade, it's the morning show. What yeah. time is it? And then hanging right. up the phone. Mark Wade, it's 10 a.m. Do you know where your print comics are? <laughs> They're in my house. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, 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 yes, it's very funny. And I know people get a kick out of that. Uh, but yeah, don't do that. Don't, don't be uh, going up to him at shows and say, Kirkman got a poop. Don't be, don't be that guy. All right. Let's talk about mage. The hero discovered written and drawn yeah, by Matt Wagner, mage. uh, from the 1980s. Um, eighties. He was doing this during Grindle or would, did Grindle come after or what was going on with the Matt Rose or the, the, um, Rose they were, I, they were relatively analogous in terms of time. I think issue one of mage came out in like mid 84. I want to say Grendel may have started earlier than that. Um, I, I believe Grendel came first, then Grendel went on hiatus and then he used Grendel as a backup in mage to bring it back. Right. And then mage became a backup in Grendel to bring it back. And then we're cha cha so the hero discovered follows Kevin Matchstick, uh, just your ordinary everyday 1980s schmuck, soon to be Gen Xer, who looks remarkably in the first issues like our college friend Tom Boaz, which you know is to say anyone with a square right. jaw. I, I guess if, if you say that, yes. I, if, in that case, Rodrigo could look, look at the like, cover of issue one. Rodrigo looks like Kevin Matchstick. Rodrigo looks like Kevin Matchstick later in the series. The cover of issue one, that, that, that face is pure Tom Boaz. If you say so. Uh, so he's walking down uh, okay. the street one day, and he bumps into this uh, crazy guy who claims to be a wizard, setting him on the path. To do something. Yes, to do something we don't know what, with powers that we know not. And then... Uh, yeah. Then Immediately people start after attacking. he meets the wizard, he gets in a fight. Yes. And he has superpowers all of a sudden. Which he's never had before. Interestingly, though, right. we find out that those powers only manifest themselves when he really needs those powers. So if he's sitting on the bark bench and he gets a splinter in his finger from the wood in the park bench, eh, he doesn't need his superpowers then. Mm -hmm. And likewise, when he's in jail later in, the, in this uh, series and he tells somebody, yeah, come on and punch me. His powers don't activate because, you know, it's not really in any danger. Right. So 
you know, the powers kind of come and go at, uh, at the whim of the writer kind of. Well, to some degree. Yeah. But also I think it's, it's that, that humanizing element where imagine if he was, you know, just always powerful. How annoying would that be? Yeah. So, uh, that would make this a superhero comic, which Mirth claims to be, uh, the mage of the world and green as his, his power source. And there's also this evil force of, uh, people that want to try to get after Kevin and bring about his downfall. Five little putty guys. If you're, if you're familiar with the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, and Ninja Turtles, I mean, I'm sorry, power Rangers. Sorry. That would be Foot Clan soldiers. <laughs> yeah, there you or, go, Foot Clan. Yeah, Foot Clan soldiers. <clears throat> this came out even before the season of the Japanese Super Sentai that inspired Nevermind. So, uh, along the way, Mirth and Kevin meet up with all manner of interesting people. We mm-hmm. meet up with Edsel, a right. girl, young girl, underage girl, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, 16, I believe. Yeah, who uh, just drives around in an Edsel. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't mind. Yeah. doesn't mind scrapping it up with people. She later gets a magical bat, green bat. Um, yeah. we, uh, we get to meet, um, Sean, who is a ghost, Sean Knight. A, uh, a ghost lawyer, mm-hmm. Sean Knight, ghost <laughs> lawyer tonight <laughs> on CBS. He know that at first. Yeah. See, that's, yeah. that's the thing. It's fascinating. It's a good five issues later before we find out the first part of his unofficial CBS sitcom title. Uh, and then of course we find out all about, uh, what's the bad guy's name? Mr. Sticks or whatever. No, the, it's the shadow sprite. Oh, the shadow sprite, the umbra sprite. The shadow sprite. Uh, yeah. The umbra sprite. Um, the umbra sprite and his five sons, the Greckle flints. The Greckle flints. Yeah. You got to watch out for their pointy elbows. Oh no, look out an elbow. Cause they'll poison you with their the Greckle, Greckle venom. Par- Paraguayan elbow fighters all. And along the way, um, the Umber Sprite throws at them all manner of uh, Feywild kind of entities. Mm-hmm. Fairies and ogres and, and little uh, red hat dudes that look like dwarfs or gnomes. Yeah, the red caps. Yeah, the red caps. And there's no real reason that we know of that this happens. I mean, initially, it seems like they're coming after Mirth. Right. It seems like whatever is going on is is aimed at the, the the world mage, which is you know kind of interesting to me at the very beginning when it all starts coming together. You ask that question of how much did he actually intend to do when he started out? You know what was what was set in stone in issue one. By the time you get to issue twelve, there's nothing that that says you know to me that he didn't have the whole story mapped out. But it feels very you know very organic getting there it feels like as we learn things kevin learns things and as kevin learns things the story you know opens from there I, I, yeah i guess that that would be one of my concerns about the story is it does tend to i mean really 15 issues to get what probably could have been done in 12 issues if not 10 issues i think um just in the storyline so i'm wondering as you were telling us matthew about how mm-hmm. uh grindle and and mage were coming and going with one another um, if maybe he wasn't taking time off to go, okay, now how do I work this part out? Now, how do I work this part out? And again, well, going back to creator owned comics, um, and I don't even know is it, if this is creator owned, I mean, with Kamiko's, yeah, um, this is Kamiko, right? Yeah. 
Right. Kamiko was the initial publisher. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes it does feel like with some of the really independent comics, like what Kamiko was putting out, that a lot of time people were just like, okay, I've got these three issues done. Now what? And then now what? And then now what? And sometimes that's how this book well, really the- feels. Even though it may seem like a natural Agreed. evolution, I, I, there's just a lot of times where I'm just like, uh, why are we spending three issues, why three pages of this, of this issue repeating what you told us in the last issue? Oh man, that that final issue, or the second to last issue, has a massive conversation. Yeah. Like, and yes, they're working out everything, and yes, you know, he's bringing Kevin around to, to really understand what's going on, but I was like... It's like you flip the page and there are they're staring back at you are two more pages <laughs> full of, you know, a very interesting conversation. And I, uh, there, there came a point where I was like, this happens a lot in this book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, if, if something is comes out sporadically, mm-hmm. I can see needing to do that, to add those pages in to say, hey, five months ago when the last issue came out, this is what happened. Um, but reading it in this collection is a little a little rough at in points. Um, I, you know, the, the biggest thing that we don't learn really up until probably issue 13, 14, something like that is Kevin has this power. Kevin has, he's here for a purpose and everybody around him, Sean, Edsel, Mirth, they've all been let in on the secret. We haven't been let on the secret as the reader. So there's a lot of him and Han and dancing around a lot of topics until we ultimately find out at the end that uh, Kevin is really King Arthur reincarnated. Re- reincarnated. And the green baseball bat that Edsel's been carrying around is really Excalibur. Mm-hmm. And that each of these people kind of have different aspects of the Knights of the Round Table, Mirth is Merlin, um, they're looking for the Fisher King, you know, all of these kinds of things um, kind of play out. Edsel is the lady in the lake. Right. Mm-hmm. And so those those kinds of things play out, and and that's kind of interesting. But the whole, hey, we've got a secret, and we're not letting anyone in on it, including the reader, again works to a point. But again, ten issues in, and you're like, okay, already. That's kind of what frustrated me the Actually, most about that's TV the part series. That I like liked the most. Well, but I mean, it's kind of like the thing with with Lost or with what's going on in Mor- Morning Glories, uh, where it's like, okay, you can only drag us by the nose so far before. People get bored and tired with it. Honestly, I think the, the the biggest issue with it is that that reveal has to be equal or greater than the build-up to it. Right. And you spend 15 issues not knowing what's going on, so if you're secretly King Arthur is not a big reveal to mm-hmm. you, it it's going to fall flat. Right. Right. How did it work with you? Well, I kind of cheated because the first mage stuff that I read was I believe the next volume oh, here yeah, yeah. defined. defined yeah um yep. and I was like oh Where this is pretty cool known. but it was already known and like when I started reading this and you get to the thing and and he starts talking I was like they're not telling him oh they're not telling him like the whole point of right. this volume is him finding out who he is yeah hence the hero so discovery. to me it kind of did fall flat because I was like you know I expected and and partially because I was coming in with prior knowledge, I expected the the arc to be by the third, fourth, sixth issue. Yeah, he finds out, and then we kick it into gear. Yeah, because you know, the, but it takes yeah. this entire volume 
for him to even accept <clears throat> that right. that thing that stabbed them in the face is real. Yeah. And there's a lot of that where it's it, where he has to decide, you know, is he going to accept his fate? Is he going to buy in to what this mirth guy is mm-hmm. is telling him? And, and for the longest time, he doesn't, even though he's being even though he's fighting ogres and um, what's the harpy lady? Um, the woman that's sexing him up and. Oh, the the she. The, the yeah. Yeah. She. yeah. Uh, even though he's fighting that, even though he's fighting the red caps and even though he's dealing with, um, you know, imps that play speakers out of the wall and make him pass out. He's doesn't want to believe any of that's happening. And then finally he's like, you know what? I'm going to believe it. Now that you've told me that I'm King Arthur and that's my Excalibur, let's go to town. Of course, it means that he has to lose Sean and Edsel in the process to do that before he finally comes around into that realization. And then we wrap everything up. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it is called the hero discovered, right? Yeah. Um, And it is that journey, but I think it's just a journey that maybe took a little bit too long. Um, because I totally, totally disagree. Well, and and that's, you know, you can certainly do that. I mean, you may think this is the greatest thing since sliced ice, since sliced ice cream, (laughs) Uh, that's actually a pretty good idea. Some sliced ice cream. Uh, that's stupid. <laughs> no, cause you can break off just what you need. Um, but you know, that's just my opinion sitting down and, and reading this is that it was about mm, three to five issues too long. Um, no. and especially when you get to the last, the last chapter, the last issue where, you know, we've had an issue, issue and a half of fighting ogres and fighting this and that. And then it's like, let's let's talk for half an issue and then let's go in and bring the casino down on the Umber Sprite's head and then drive off into the sunset. That almost seemed anticlimactic to the reveal that you are King Arthur and here's your Excalibur rise King. And let's go on a, let's complete our journey. There's a lot of character work in here. And I think that the character part is the most important part because the beats of the story aren't about, Here's the adventure. The beats of the story break down to we have four issues. Something's going on. At the end of issue four, we get the big reveal about Sean's nature. And that's the point where I really got hooked in this series was it's like, holy crap, where they revealed Sean's secret. And I'm like, hey, that's that's kind of a thing. And then we build up a little more and then we kind of get the the question of what's going on with Murph and What's going on with Edsel? And then we get the big moment with Edsel that's such a, just a, a, a thing immediately followed by the revelation of, you know, what's really been going on here, pretty much obviously to everybody but Kevin. The story is about, it, it's more character driven. I think that's part of the reason that I love it is it takes so long to get there because they're, you know, they're dealing with, because Kevin is going, ah, well, and he's having these moments of doubt he's having these moments of crisis he'll have a moment where all of a sudden i'm gonna go and i'm gonna sneak into the casino and i'm gonna punch everybody in the face and then he screws up and we have to deal with the you know the fallout of screwing up in 84 Mm -hmm. when this came out the only model of comic books was ongoing series forever your book either went on forever like Batman or you got canceled and you went into limbo like the Hawk and the Dove. There was no such thing. Well, there were very few. There was really a very limited understanding of what would become, well, the limited series 
the whole arc. We're going to write six issue arcs to, you know, put this together and collect it later. So I, the collection of this book that I have is actually three volumes, each one collecting a weird, like five issue stint. And the volumes don't really have breaking points necessarily because it kind of in, in the eighties, you did an ongoing narrative. It's what you did. And I feel like, I don't feel like at the beginning he had everything mapped out as this is the character beat I want to hit. This is when and where. I don't feel like he had that level of craft when he started out. Issue one is almost standard superhero-y stuff. But it's superhero-y stuff with a character at the center of it that I kind of like, that I'm willing to kind of go along with. And when he starts getting long-winded, I'm willing to, you know, read that because that's where, that's where the fun of this book is. Sure. Uh, I think that, um, you know, for me, I like, I, I like the whole package of, mm-hmm. of, of mage, the hero, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, right. Whichever volume, whichever you're volume yeah, I'm yeah, reading, yeah. you know, when I go in and I start reading and I'm like, man, this issue is wordy and man, those guys look a little weird and eh, he could have probably taken a little bit more time to ink this page differently and things <laughs> yeah. like that you know it's a it's a it's an indie comic it's right it's an indie comic trying to look like the big boys which is not a bad thing at all no you know well who did we have in the, who did we have in the 80s we had dc and marvel mm-hmm. and then we had mm-hmm. kamiko which was doing a lot i mean that's where adam hughes bill willingham uh got their start with maze agency and some of the stuff that was going on there by 85 you had Pipe Piper. there were a dozen different companies there was well pied piper had gone under by this point Pacific had gone under by this point. There was first there Eclipse. Was Eclipse. There yeah. was um, who were the other guys? Um, but I mean, these guys were didn't have face and thing. They didn't nearly have. I think if you were looking, Dark Horse was coming out n- not for another four yeah. or five more years. I don't Dark think. Horse. I thought Dark Horse was around early. Dark Horse. Maybe I'm thinking of Concrete as coming in earlier than I thought. Well, I so you know at this point, Kamiko would have been one of the bigger independent comic publishers right, right. at that time. I mean, they would have been the equivalent of an image comics right. uh, without the big creator names. Oh yeah. Uh, image started in 86. Wow. So they would have been a couple of years after. Uh, the after creators at Kamiko were, were guys like Bill Willingham and Matt Wagner who would eventually become the big names. So I right. think it's kind of reverse engineering of the same thing. Right. Um, so it's, it, <clears throat> It's not like it was somebody just doing this in their sure, basement sure, and putting sure. it, stapling it together themselves and trying to right, get a, right. a store open it up. I like the overall concept. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I, like, I think that's what you're trying to say is, yeah. you know, you like, like this concept. The, the concept, of the, the art, Mage the, the hero. way the characters look, um, the their take on the mythology, their take on the supernatural, you know, I mean, right. just, I mean... The, like like Matthew said, the the whole deal with Sean, the fact that he's a ghost, right? But he's not like always phasing in and out of walls. Like everybody perceives him as as a perfectly normal person. Mm-hmm. He's just dead, right? Like right. he's a spirit. He doesn't right. have his body's not here. Mm-hmm. But nobody, everybody notices him perfectly fine because he doesn't even know that he's dead. Nobody does. That's that's what ghosts are like in this universe. And after you, really, that's one of those things that clicked it for me of, like, you know, flipping through, I saw the red caps. And red caps get used a lot in mm-hmm. anything having to do with um, Arthurian stuff or, right. like, Welsh mythology yep. or, or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, because yep. they're your standard little shithead monsters. Right, right. 
um, that are really <laughs> annoying. You know, video games. Adult yeah, yeah, it's, it's the it's the trash mob right, type right. stuff. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, I know what this comic is going to be like, but it wasn't. You know, it progressively changes things up on you. You know, when you mm-hmm. meet when you meet a dragon, it's not what you would expect exactly a dragon to be like. Right, 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 right. So overall, with the story, Rodrigo. Uh, what what did I mean? What did you like best about the story? What I like, uh, you know, I, I think what I like best about the story is the the bed of rice that the story lives in. Mm-hmm. You know, the it's the setting that I like for right. for mage, um, more so than the story itself. Again, I'm you know the stuff that I've read was from the next volume, mm-hmm. and I think that's when it to me that's when it gets kicked into gear. This. This whole setup is just seemed too long for me, and it's not bad. There's nothing really wrong with it, other than it's it's a pace that I didn't like. Um, I think it's weirdly realistic. You know, if you had like people doubt themselves all the time, mm-hmm. but you know, in movies, you only have an hour and a half to tell a story, so right. there has to be that turning point, right? You know, having a longer period of time allows the writer to be like, and then the hero changes his mind again and yeah. goes and does something different for a while. You know, it gives it, it's a little bit like role playing games in that sense, and that, you know, sometimes it seems like the writer doesn't have control of the characters. Mm-hmm. The characters and, are controlling him. Right, right. Yeah, and yeah. it, you know, the characters are driving the story and it gives it a different feel. I wasn't crazy about it, but it's, there's really, it's not like it didn't upset me. It's just in the end, I, uh, I was like, well, I wish that I had skipped the first half of a few of these, mm. but there's really nothing wrong with them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, overall, the story is concept ideas. Are oh, there. absolutely. Matthew, let's, let's talk about the art because um, one of the interesting things that happens in Mage the Hero Discovered is it is one of the first three comics that Kamiko introduced when it went to color. And Mage the Hero Discovered actually had hand-painted pages which I think is fascinating yeah. when we look at the art and they're phenomenal. I, I love the art and there's, there's, um, there's a point I think around issue three where it's clear that Wagner didn't start out necessarily knowing how to lay out and plot a comic book. He knew how he loved the comics of his youth. And it's clear if you read issue one, that he's using kind of all the tricks that he learned from reading comics and about issue three or four, it feels like he starts actually pacing the book a little differently. He changes things up. And there's a particular sequence that I just love right after, uh, right after Sean realizes he's a ghost and they've captured one of the Grax and they're like, Sean can just, Sean can be scary. He's a ghost. Go ahead and try it. And Sean just gets this look on his face and his, his jaw hardens and the background is this weird painted Corona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of strange colors that's really a little off-putting to you. And you're like, holy crap, I'm a little bit scared of of whatever they did on that that particular painting. But the art evolves throughout this particular issue. And it goes from I don't know what I would call it. It goes from a a very big two influence to being more of something in the vein of kind of a an Alex Toth crossed a little bit with uh Steve Ditko. You, you know when but it, the painted the painted portion of it is what really sells it for me the the painting of the cells the painting of the the panels 
takes it away from both the independent black and white books of the era and the stuff that we're seeing today with the computer coloring. Yeah, I think when you look at like the first issue, the second issue, um, it seems like more watercolor paints are being used in that. But then when you get into... It seems like those may have been like put together as a black and white issue and then painted after yeah, the fact. Yeah, but then when you get into like issues four, I think issue four is kind of where it changes. And then as you get into... Uh, later into issue 15 and 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 later on through the book um you know then it starts to develop more of a um solid marker style almost i mean it's not mm -hmm. like you see the marker ink lines mm -hmm. um but it it's not as watercolory i guess uh the the colors are more defined uh in uh, later issues the than they are, are. Yeah, yeah the coloring discovered um Defined as the, the sequel than than what you have in 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 the early issues. So I mean, I I like the coloring in it. It's it's nice. It is very evocative though of eighties independent style, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting in itself. Uh, I I enjoy as I as we mentioned when we did the crow. I enjoy seeing an artist's style refine and improve over time. And uh, Wagner does that here because when you look at the first. The first couple of uh, books, you know, Kevin's got a kind of a rubbery face. Mm -hmm. uh, but then by the time you hit into later, when you started to get into some of the, the real heart of the story, the characters are a lot more solidified at this right, point. Right. They're a lot more defined. And it's, yeah. it, you know, it's just that uh, repetition. You know, repetition sure, is what's sure. going to cause you to have a consistent look. And by the time we get into later issues, uh, Kevin and Edsel and everybody has a more consistent look from panel to panel and page to page. By the time we get into issue 13, that opens with that amazing sequence in the the river, I guess Mirth calls it, where it's the fully painted green magic backgrounds and everything's yeah. taking place. And it, it's really a bizarre sequence because it's, it well, it doesn't have physics behind it. So you basically see black and white outlines of Kevin and Mirth and Edsel mm -hmm. against this background of the swirling greens. This is the kind of thing that we see today done with computer coloring. This is the kind of thing that computer coloring seems to do more than anything is wacky background effects. Mm -hmm. And at the point where they're doing this, computer coloring is still a good 15, 20 years away. This is something where, you know, he painted these backgrounds and then he drew in the characters. It's just really fascinating to see that. Compare that even that issue 13, which is one of my favorite comics of all time. You compare that to issue one, and you can see, I mean, I think it's three years in between, but you could see the clear growth of, of you know, both as right. a draftsman mm -hmm. and just in a creative sense, the growth of Wagner as he's putting this book together. Yeah, definitely. And that's, and that's kind of a joy when you're reading through these to, uh, you know, to see how the story evolves, the character evolves, and the art evolves throughout. And that's what this uh, this book does very well, if you can get your hands on it. Uh, looks like you can buy this mostly used. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the newer hardcovers are eh, maybe a little bit harder to come by mm -hmm. uh, in this. This is kind of like our Longbow Hunters that we did a couple of weeks ago, where it's not always easy to get a brand new print of, of something. So <laughs> be on the lookout for it if you can. I'm sure it's all over the uh, the eBay and the other online auction sites. Uh, that you can pick up. Amazon has them, has a couple of them in stock uh, for a pretty, not too bad of a price, twenty nine twenty nine. Mm -hmm. 
for the book. Um, so that's good. Um, what else works and doesn't work in this volume, Matthew? Well, I'm not a good person to ask what doesn't work because this is a very, you know, this is a very much beloved and probably personally enjoyed story for me. I think that what works the best is what leads up to the big conversation and the big reveal. There's that, that aspect of, you know, the, the young hero, what is it? The eternal hero and the, the elder statesman guy, the Ben Kenobi type who comes in. There's a, a quiet Star Wars aspect to this that a lot of people don't necessarily look for because you kind of get hooked up in the Arthurian metaphor. Mm -hmm. I think that probably the thing that works the least for me is the introduction of the quote unquote supervillain around issue nine or 10. The kid with the dreadlocks who breaks out of jail, yeah, and oh, yeah, then ends yeah. up getting the the magical gets getting the magical uh, staple, staple gun. gun. Yeah, I I think that's the point where you know they were doing one thing and something else occurred to them, but the kid with the magical staple gun is really Chekhov's magical staple gun. Yeah, so that when he does come into play, there doesn't there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of development of him, but he serves a plot driven purpose sure and it's kind of to the point where you know his his purpose to the plot is like okay you've done this and we're done with you now mm -hmm. so you die mm -hmm. that didn't necessarily work for me but i love i love this character arc i love the fact that mirth goes from being literally the character who you think at the very beginning can do anything his his magic is something that is introduced and in kevin's mundane life the magic's like holy crap and we get to a point where he really wants the magic to do something. And Mirth is like, that's not, that's not the rules. That's not how it works. He's gotten into this magical world. And now he's, he's at the adult phase, if you will, of magic, where he realizes that there are still rules and there are still limitations. That part is amazing for me. The, the hero discovered really fits the story because he starts out as a schmuck. Then he becomes a slightly bigger schmuck. And only at the very end does he actually realize, you know, being a schmuck and punching things doesn't necessarily turn you into anything more than a schmuck who punches things. And then, of course, they have to end with a big explosion. Michael Bay. Yeah, and it does. They literally drop the casino down on the Umber Sprite's head and then go riding off into the sunset in Edsel's car. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. Rodrigo, some other thoughts from you. I think that we need to keep this book quiet. We can't we can't let Nicolas Cage find out about it because <laughs> then he's going to want to produce it as a movie. How am I not in this movie? Interesting interesting you should say that, Rodrigo. And, and cast a, himself. Interestingly, a film version is has been in development with Spyglass Entertainment was Zack Snyder was going to direct it. Mm -hmm. But then um uh producer Lloyd Levin, the guy who did Hellboy and Watchmen swooped in and now owns the rights to wow. mage. So, uh, with Zack Snyder and Lloyd Levin involved, I bet they will give this some serious thought in the very near future. Yeah. Starring Nicholas Cage. Oh, <laughs> I have to find myself as a hero. <laughs> Matthew, who, who would you cast as the role of Kevin matchstick? Oh God. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Really? Yeah, I'd have to bulk him up a little bit. Either Joseph Gordon-Levitt or um, the one... Oh, God, now I can't remember his name. Face Man from the A-Team movie with a beard. Bradley Cooper? 
Yeah, Cooper. Oh, I thought you when you I, first said A team, I was like, Dirk Benedict? <laughs> what? Yeah, Dirk Benedict. You're a little bit too yeah, old Kevin, to be playing that. <laughs> yeah. He's not all that much older than Nicolas Cage, but well, that's true. Yeah, I, uh, Bradley Cooper with a beard would be an interesting call. The problem that you're going to get into is that they're they're going to want to make the hero very superhero-y. And the whole point of this arc is that the hero is not very superhero-y. So I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can do that in, you know, in the post hand. Yeah, I mean, it, no, I mean, be knocking something. they did it with Neo in the matrix mm-hmm. where it took Neo wow. the entire movie to realize that he was the one. Right. So he could unleash his is power Alex and Winter then too old go this? and, and this blow things great, up. Uh, Pete's Bill and Ted are King Arthur and the one. There you go. Um, so I think you could probably carry the story the way that it's presented here to an extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would need some serious updating because there are lots yeah. of, lots of, I don't know. It just, I can't help it when I look at some of these books, like when we looked at Longbow Hunters, when we looked at, um, oh, one of your retro reviews, Matthew, when you did, uh, the question, it's just like, I look yeah, at those pages the, uh, and go, yeah, it's just like this is everything that I hated about '80s comics <laughs> when I look at when I look at some of these, and it's just because of the style. Because it's like, yeah, oh, we've yeah, got to we've got to give them the the style of of the time, and so that really dates it. And unfortunately, oh, sure. clothing always dates uh, a problem. You know, uh, Kevin the, wears the a thing, t-shirt and jeans. Yeah, Kevin wears a t-shirt that, and now jeans. Now Mirth does. Well, yeah, but Mirth wears a uh, a Clo- blanket yeah. Yeah, most yeah. of the time. And now, sometimes wars. you can see you can see his flash dance pants. Yes. Um sometimes. Yes. And then of course Edsel is very 80s with her yeah, with def- her clothing. She too. she definitely is, but Sean isn't. I mean Edsel is and and you find that a lot. It's usually women's yeah, fashions yeah. that are a huge oh, yeah, thing yeah. that dates a Well, comic. men shirt tie pants. Yeah. Exactly. So, there you go. Um well, these days you could play off Edsel's style as being very retro and awesome. Sure you could. Well, well yeah, she's driving know, a Sean, Sean died car. in the 50s. So if you if you dress him up That's like true. a you know yeah, yeah. like a businessman from the fifties, like nobody would buy it. The dude from the fifties. Mm, Rodrigo, final thoughts from you, including uh, buy, skip it, or borrow it. Mm, let's see. I would say definitely borrow it if you have a friend who has it. Um, definitely find it in your library. I mean, it's worth it's worth checking out. Um, again, for me. Probably this and the second volume together are 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 you know in in broad strokes what I really like about this property as a whole. Mm-hmm. There's just something about it that's really special, really cool, really interesting. Um, when you go page by page, the pacing of it can for me yeah. was sometimes a real problem. Yeah. Um, so if you if you know yourself and you know that a slow comic by today's standards, is mm-hmm. going to completely turn you off, then this might not be the one for you. Yeah. That said, definitely give it a chance. It's worth it. Yeah, I really think you should probably give it a chance, too. I wouldn't say rush out and buy it. I think this is something you need to discover at the library or um, sit at Gatekeeper Comics and Hobbies, Hunt to and Engage, and sit on the floor and read it all afternoon and then not <laughs> buy it. Um, but uh, there is there is a unique story that's here, and there are some unique characters going here, but as as I said earlier, and as Rodrigo just said, there's a there's a pacing issue. If Brian Michael Bendis drives you up the wall, this will irritate you just as much, I think, mm-hmm. as in terms of pacing goes. So uh, certainly borrow it, Matthew. Well, there there are three things that I disagree with. First of all, Bendis drives me crazy, and I love this book. 
Secondly, I wouldn't necessarily call it a slow story. It is a weird story, and it's a story with a lot of tangents, but those tangents are basically sidetracks that are probably equivalent to having a conversation with me, honestly. And that may be why I, I, you know, this story appeals to me in that you'll get into the middle of something and Mirth will say, well, what do you think about that? Kevin will tell you what he thinks about it at length. I kind of like that. This is a story that was designed to be kind of a superhero story with quote unquote real people. Air quotes. We don't do that anymore, do we? <laughs> oh, sure we will. Anyway. And as such, I think that it, it, especially, you know, going back and reading this collected volume, it kind of reads as a product of its times. As a product of those same times, and as a nerd from the wellspring out of which Mage was sprung, I say absolutely go buy a copy of this book. You you will not regret it. It probably won't cost you a ton of money unless you ever want to go in and, you know, dig up one of those big hardcover things. But this is one of the stories in comics that I feel is really necessary if you're going to look at what comics were and what they are going to become and what they are now. I think that this is kind of this is one of those watershed titles. It's it's something that was the beginning of what we are still seeing now. This was one of the indie books along, you know, alongside things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, alongside things like Marvel slash Miracle Man, alongside things like V for Vendetta that really took comics from being what led us from the Silver Age to Crisis on Infinite Earths to the crap that we read today. Crap is probably a pejorative term, and I didn't mean it like that. But in any case, yes, I say go get it. Go get it now. Rush right out in a buying frenzy. Buy two. Wake the kids. Phone the neighbors. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at the Reaper of St. George Street. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man
fan of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine being in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. Whoa, 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 whoa. What a major spoiler. Major spoilers. It's copyright 2012.